Hi hi, welcome welcome, this is Metapol with me, Cactus. I originally planned to release my episode on stochastic disinformation today, a more technical concept about some of the ways that social media propagates fake news and false information, even without the intent of the people that are spreading it. However, something came up, most notably the vice presidential debates, and I think there's a very important point to seize on here to explain so that people understand what to look for as the progression in the American election continues. You will still be receiving an episode on stochastic disinformation, likely next week. However, the normalization of just deadpan lies, lies without any context, without any way to kind of soften the blow or make things more reasonable or have any sort of plausible deniability to it, is just completely blatant in the vice presidential debate. And I think it gives us a good example of what we're going to see after Trump is either out of office or if he serves four more years and someone else has to run in order to take his place. Before we look at these examples, I'd like to give a bit of a hypothesis, and then we can think about what it means for the function of the media and what it means for the function of electoral politics. What has happened in the past few decades is an effect of overwhelming the media. Once again, I believe this is a problem of incompetence, not malice. It's incredibly easy to point fingers at a given media source and say that they're just partisan knife fighters, but the reality is often very different. Now, I don't doubt that there are some individual journalists, once again, that are trying to exercise their own influence on the news. However, the real question is how this effect grows to encompass entire networks or even types of media as a whole. My hypothesis on this has really been that the ability for politicians to lie in order to construct effective lies and now in order to be out in the open with their lies has become so overwhelming that it is impossible for any single journalist to ever cover all of the information on the program. In fact, many American political strategists have talked about this, but it's been very scarcely addressed when it comes to media. This requires a lot of research that, quite frankly, would not allow me to produce a show every single day of the week, as many media sources do. When you have to keep up with that sort of a production schedule, and especially when you have to report on the news essentially hours after it happens, there is certainly an overwhelming effect of every single political actor trying to spin the news, and this has been normalized with a lot of the political strategy debate, particularly in the United States. In fact, this actually mirrors the pattern of the collapse of early democracies, such as of Rome or of early democracy in Poland. In fact, what you see is that there is a breaking point of these types of shenanigans. There's a breaking point that depends on the journalist. A more competent journalist will be able to sift through more information. It also depends on the type of media and the frequency of publication, as I talked about before. But let's cut to the chase. What's happening in the United States 
is that because lying has become so commonplace, journalists are only able to filter some subset of the lies. And in fact, if you just take out the lies that you yourself deem most offensive or most damaging, then you might naturally end up selecting for your own partisan priorities. For example, if someone cares deeply about immigration, but they don't actually care deeply about, say, economics, then no matter what side of the aisle they're on, they're going to be fact-checking more stories about immigration. And unfortunately, that can often lead to them invoking their own biases. Now, in order to understand how the normalization of this kind of misinformation happens, and what it looks like in the future, let's take a look at some of the debates. Now, many described the vice presidential debate as a quote-unquote breath of fresh air compared to the presidential debate as Donald Trump was constantly interrupting Joe Biden and there was little semblance of order on the debate stage, while in the vice presidential debate, the candidates more or less took their turn. While I definitely do prefer watching the latter, I think this aesthetic appeal has covered up mostly what is actually happening with regards to the political evolution and the evolution of political media and the refusal or inability to actually process these events. I've compiled a short list of the types of disinformation that are happening in the debate. Now, I may have missed some, but these are the ones that are relating to the talking points of the campaign, to the broader overarching appeals and ideas that they have. I have ordered Trump first and Pence first in both of these sections, simply because they are incumbents. And I've also divided these lies into three categories. Shadowboxing, an effect I talked about before, where politicians try to characterize their opponents as something that they're obviously not. Lies about facts, just stating things that are not true. And other lies. These can be lies that are poor descriptions of what actual government systems do. And I also put any lies that I thought may have also just been a candidate being unaware of the facts in this category. In the presidential debate, obviously, there were some of the most standard forms of shadowboxing from the Trump campaign, including the claims that Biden will erase private insurance, socialize medicine, defund the police, etc. Policy positions that, while some members of the Democratic Party have supported, Biden does not support, and has constantly stated at every single turn. While you can say, and as Trump does, that Biden makes room for these people in the party, when Biden explicitly denounces these proposals over and over again, it clearly becomes a lie when Trump accuses Biden himself of harboring these sentiments. He also claimed that Biden, quote-unquote, wouldn't have made the ventilators, which as the ventilators were manufactured in conjunction with various private companies, and this would have been, quite frankly, a straightforward thing to do. And Biden has never made a claim that he would not have made the ventilators. And just one more technical detail, when talking about the Green New Deal, he said, quote-unquote, they want to take out the cows. We'll talk about this later, but this technical detail is 
possibly a misunderstanding based on the way the Green New Deal was presented, but in the Biden plan particularly, they don't do anything that attempts to quote-unquote take out the cows. Biden, somewhat predictably, used some of the false mischaracterizations and baseless claims that are often used by Democratic politicians, citing the quote-unquote find people on both sides moment and accusing President Trump of supporting white supremacy. However, in President Trump's statement, he stated that he denounces white supremacy completely immediately prior to making that statement. So while it might be fair to accuse Donald Trump of supporting other right-wing agitators, he did not support white supremacists or neo-Nazis. And there is a clear distinction between the two, as we will go on to talk about later on. Another thing that happens frequently with Democratic politicians is arbitrarily calling policies from the right a quote-unquote dog whistle, and I'm quite frankly surprised that this hasn't been called out earlier, particularly with regards to the attacks that Donald Trump is now leveling. I try not to play both sides-ism here, but the comparison is just all too shocking. When you have actors who are constantly equating any sort of right-wing economic policy to some form of racism, to some form of the far right, and accusing them of appealing to the lowest common denominator, it is quite comparable to Trump's characterization of Biden as some sort of far-left agent, as secretly trying to appeal to the Bernie Sanders wing or to the anarchist wing of the Democratic Party. It is incredibly reminiscent, and quite frankly, I wouldn't have been surprised if Trump used the term dog whistle there. As I talked about in a previous episode, most contemporary claims of quote-unquote dog whistles are completely false, have no basis in civilized political discussion, and can never be proven with substantial evidence. There was just one very obscure one from Donald Trump, where he talked about changing fuel standards and reducing fuel efficiency requirements by a slight margin, and he said, quote-unquote, double or triple the cars were purchased than if we had kept those fuel standards. And if you just look at the rate of change, even if you don't account for uh, economic changes, that's just not true. The statistics are publicly available. Joe Biden, when Trump talked about $3.5 million going to his son, Hunter Biden, Biden said that was not true. Uh, the financial statements, once again, are available online. There's, there's been bipartisan reporting on this, and this, in fact, is something, is a transaction that occurred. The other thing I wasn't sure if I was going to put in this category or the next is that, quote-unquote, the Green New Deal will pay for itself going forward. And I will put an asterisk to this because it really does straddle the line between one of those obviously false lies and one of those lies where you can go back and give a technical justification to. I'll start first by talking about the technical justification. If you plot out the long-term effects of climate change, including future damages, then there is a possibility that this sort of action levels itself out if you account for, say, future damages of hurricanes, of flooding that you would hypothetically prevent. If you just consider the policy economically, it will put the government into debt, 
or it will cause a significant increase in taxes. And this was the accusation from Trump. He said it's going to raise taxes, and Biden said the Green New Deal will pay for itself going forward, which, which if you consider the accusation that is attempted to be deflected, this is a lie. The Green New Deal will have to require a raise in taxes, or a raise in taxes in the longer term in order to pay off a deficit if it is implemented. However, I will note that this is not as bad as some of the other falsities that are just obviously false with no explanation whatsoever. In the other category, Trump said that there was no negative effect from rallies or gathering large crowds, which, once again, this is quite similar to the last lie, which was told by Biden, where there is some sort of explanation in the long run, but when replied to a specific point, is not necessarily true. The moderator of the debate, Chris Wallace, said that there was significant evidence that rallies and crowds in general increased the risk of coronavirus. This is true, and it still applies to political rallies such as the ones that Trump held. However, there has not necessarily been one contact traced case that can be traced directly to a Trump rally, so there is no confirmed evidence of those specific events. However, that's similar to saying that driving drunk has no risk because one person you know has driven drunk several times and is still safe. It does not necessarily hold for the pattern in general, and it does not necessarily mean that it's an advisable thing to do. Biden also just completely refused to answer a question on court packing, and while this is something that has happened in the past with regards to politicians refusing to answer questions, it's just at a completely blatant level now where he isn't even trying to distract from it, he isn't even trying to give uh, a small amount of information or a vague answer, he just outright explicitly says, I'm not going to answer the question, and while once again, this sort of category is much less egregious than the explicit lies that occurred during the debate. It is still problematic, and journalists absolutely have to continue pressing until the question gets answered. He also stated that, quote-unquote, the Green New Deal is not the Biden plan, or not, quote-unquote, my plan. And there is a reference to incorporating the Green New Deal into his climate solutions, on the Joe Biden website. This, once again, is a factual lie that can have some explanation if you look further into the details and the technicalities, where if Biden, when saying the Green New Deal, is referring to the specific bill that has passed, no, it is not necessarily a carbon copy of the bill. Since the statement in the debate, the Green New Deal is not my plan, compared to the statement on his website, incorporating the Green New Deal, since there are direct contradictions between the two, I think it's fair to classify this as a lie. So let's focus once again here on the earlier two sections, the shadow boxing and the explicit lies about facts, because this is, in my opinion, what's new. I recorded the others just for clarity's sake, but quite frankly, They've been happening in debates between uh, Obama and Romney, and they happen in debates even in Europe or in other countries. So it's not something that makes the United States particularly disastrous, 
and it's not something that has caused a collapse as of yet. However, they are things to watch out for, and they are things to hold your politicians to a higher standard. Now, if you've watched the debate as a whole, you probably know that Trump has a very performative aspect to some of these lies, particularly with regards to the sort of bluffery that he engages in. Bluffery is the terms in sales that creates exceptions to certain regulations with regards to false advertising. It essentially is the over-dramatization and over-exaggeration of something that is clearly false, and there is allowed to be an exception for advertising, where if you say something that is obviously false, it is not necessarily branded as false advertising. For example, a certain beer brand had a mascot that was, quote-unquote, the most interesting man in the world. Now, this is not necessarily something that can be proven, and probably if you took polls, people would be less interested in that man than some other prominent public figures. However, because it is something that is very obviously an exaggeration, it is exempt from false advertising laws. However, having this effect in politics is actually very bad, as opposed to advertising where you want to provide some sort of entertainment while also selling a product. In politics, we want to have the most exact description of what a candidate is going to be despite their intentions. We want to create a system where people are able to find out the truth more immediately, obviously before casting their vote, and this sort of bluffery is strictly reductive on the system. However, Trump's performative nature also makes it that he's very clear-cut when he's lying, and there's always an air where you're not supposed to take him seriously. This is something that's agreed upon by both American conservatives and liberals. Even with regards to Biden, the way he delivered some of these lies, particularly with regards to the fine people on both sides and the dog whistles lines, essentially made it very clear that these weren't the pivotal moments of the campaign. He delivered much more effectively when talking about coronavirus, and quite frankly seemed more genuine on those topics. The contrast that you're going to have with the vice presidential debate is that th those vice presidential candidates were both much more deadpan in the terms of their expression of those lies, and also, quite frankly, playing into them, making them more and more pivotal in their campaign, and truly normalizing them, and incorporating all of the past political elements into them. In the case of Vice President Pence, he did all the same types of shadowboxing that Trump does, including accusing Biden of quote-unquote wanting socialized health care, which is not part of his plan, is not part of any agreement he reached with Bernie Sanders either. He also accused Biden of supporting the far left, which is not true when it comes to economics, is not true when it comes to policing, and is generally not true in terms of Biden's policies or his public statements. It is also important here that once again, Pence directly accused Biden of this. It may have been more reasonable, and it actually was much more reasonable when he did this to Harris, who has a much more partisan voting record. However, he also went on to level these attacks against Biden, 
which, because he is a different person, is incorrect. Harris once again referenced the Charlottesville Statement, where Trump actually did condemn white supremacists, and here we're going to talk about why it's important to draw these distinctions, even if you might disagree with Trump nonetheless supporting or making dubious statements with regards to other more militant right-wing groups. So, the degree in which various groups are incorporated in the mainstream, and where association with various mainstream groups are incorporated in the mainstream, is actually fairly important when it comes to analyzing the safety and security that people have in a society. In fact, one of the things that, in my opinion, is most threatening to the United States as a whole, coming out of this phase of dramatization, is the instability of elections, and is this effect where you aren't willing to lose. Quite frankly, this was an effect that already had showed itself to some degree in the very close election with George W. Bush and Al Gore. The phrase I always say is that any political leader should rather lose than have the election cast in doubt. I have full confidence in this for all of the politicians in Canada, for example. I think that Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada and the leader of the Liberal Party, would much rather lose an election, even if it meant giving up the Prime Ministership, if it meant that the election would maintain its integrity, that people would still believe that their vote matters and that there is no corruption in the system, particularly if there isn't. I believe the same is true for the Conservative leader, Aaron O'Toole, for the New Democrats and Jagmeet Singh, and so on. However, major political candidates, including the vice presidential and presidential candidates of both American political parties, have explicitly stated the opposite. However, the most notable thing isn't that this was actually stated, because it has been stated in the past, in 2016, by some, not necessarily the political candidates, but by other politicians, in either the Democratic or Republican parties in 2012, and even earlier. However, what's notable this time is that it has not created an immediate backlash with regards to the American public. And much of this is the fault of the media. Much of this is due to media malfeasance, particularly over time. But actually, there has been some efforts to try to question the candidates, to try to get them to commit to an honest and fair election, particularly by Susan Page and Chris Wallace, the moderators of these two debates. Good job, and thank you. However, the long-term political climate, caused by statements like these, many statements with regards to race, and the shadow boxing that is done by the Trump and Biden campaigns and by political campaigns in general, does naturally lead to this. If you accuse presidents or other political figures of supporting white supremacists, or of supporting the far left of supporting anarchists, then you're going to create this outcome. And while it may be more effective in motivating voters in order to try to win one particular election, it is incredibly damaging for a society in the long term, and quite frankly, you should be unwilling to do it. However, that is not the state of play in the United States. When it comes to factual lies, there were not as many from Pence as there were from Trump. 
However, there were notably more and notably worse ones from Kamala Harris than from Joe Biden. With regards to Pence, there was a claim that the Trump administration was personally responsible for raising the economy when they came into office, which, as I talked about before, has no actual correlation when it comes to data with any given president or not. Essentially, the economy is much more reliant on what businesses are doing and, quite frankly, what events are happening in the background, such as the pandemic, than they do with any given presidential candidate. This is something that many presidential campaigns have done in the past, including Obama, including Bush, including Reagan, including Bill Clinton, and including losing campaigns as well. However, I will also bring it up because it is a presidential lie. Harris had a manner of lying that was not only incredibly explicit, if you're someone who follows politics, but also even worse of a dramatization than Trump. One such example of this was Harris talking about quote-unquote prosecuting the big banks. She actually failed to bring any charges or actually refused to bring charges towards specific banks after the 2008 financial crisis, and this is confirmed by reporting on The Intercept and later confirmed by other news sources. I think the political calculus here was that she was actually cooperating with, or at least letting off, quote-unquote, by coincidence, many officials that are now actually serving in the Trump campaign. So yes, in this case, the rot is bipartisan. The corruption is universal. However, as I talked about before, the most prominent thing to worry about Harris is that she will significantly increase the influence that various lobbying firms that various businesses have on their influence in government. And because of this, it will be even harder to undo later on. This is one thing that I've talked about with regards to Trump. He's engaged in things that other politicians would not, such as explicitly hiring his family, for example, and directing money to his own hotels or golf courses. What Trump has not actually done in any exceptionally significant way, is make it harder to prosecute corruption. And I think this is exactly what Harris will do, if given any sort of influence. She will make it even more difficult to undo existing corruption. This lie not only obscures the main point, it actually just explicitly states the opposite. It would be something like Trump saying that he made it harder for politicians to hire their family members. It's obviously false. And the difference here is that if Trump were to say something like this, he would present it in an almost comical way. It is still a lie, and it's still having a significant negative impact on the political system in the United States. However, Harris presents this as an emotional plea, and particularly to someone who has experience in politics, and can see through these things incredibly easily, this seems like something that is disgusting. Most often, politicians make lies on the defensive. They make fundamental emotional appeals to people that are at least based in a grain of reality, and then they maybe lie to cover up attacks that other opponents have on them. 
However, Harris, and to a degree Trump, is going to normalize lying on the offense, making up falsities to claim your bona fides. And what this means is that you can end up electing candidates that not only make false attacks on their opponents, but also got to the positions where they are by claiming false things about themselves. That is what you have with Harris, and to some degree with Trump. Note that I didn't mention Biden in that sort of long drawn out explanation, and that's because he doesn't engage in this type of garbage. He engages in shadowboxing, he engages in certain lies about just things that are true, such as the money that was received by his son, Hunter Biden. However, something that I talk about on the show is that we do have to understand severity. We do have to understand the impacts of these various actions in the long term. And as I just explained, when you project things out, the effects of someone like a Harris or someone like a Trump would be more damaging to the American political system in the long run. This other thing that Harris did in the last section is that uh, she stated that, quote-unquote, Joe Biden will not ban fracking. That is a fact. And that's either a complete misunderstanding of what an attack is or a misunderstanding of what a fact is. And by her delivery, the latter is actually more likely. This is because the attack that Pence leveled brought up comments that Joe Biden himself had made when he declared that he was going to ban fracking in the past. That is a fact. Joe Biden did make that statement. However, Harris makes the assertion that Joe Biden will not ban fracking. That is a fact. And that is a complete misunderstanding of what a fact is. It does not address the attack before, which is that Joe Biden has made statements. In fact, it actively tries to gaslight people into thinking it's not true. There are reasonable ways to deal with this. You could say that that was a misstatement by Joe Biden. You can say that whatever Joe Biden said in the past, his current platform that is on his website, for example, states that he will not ban fracking. However, this approach not only doesn't answer the question that Pence actually asked, it's stating something that is completely subjective, assuming something that is the entire point of the question, the entire thing you're trying to prove, and then stating that that subjective opinion is a fact, which is a level of lying that not even Trump has done so far. So the last thing seems incredibly Trumpian, and it was with regards to foreign policy reductionism. Harris said, quote-unquote, foreign policy is actually very simple. It's They're just relationships, like personal relationships. This is the reductionism that has led to the bad results that have come out of Trump's foreign policy, particularly with regards to Russia and with regards to tension in Asia, particularly with the Koreas. It deeply resembles the sort of Trump claim that, oh, I should run government like I run a business. Except the thing that Harris does is that she understands sort of set pieces. She understands how you should be portraying certain aspects in politics. And she abuses this and just mixes everything up trying to portray this as some sort of grand insight, when really it's the same as a Trumpian delusion. The other problem is I think that this landed with the average person, is people want easy explanations, and that's part of why Trump himself got elected. I don't actually have an answer to this right away, but we definitely have to come up with some sort of solution 
to educating people about foreign policy and educating people about the intricacies of policy in general, where people resist the urge to look for simple answers. In some areas, there actually are simple answers, such as the best way to create a world where race doesn't affect you is to create a world where you don't affect others based on race. However, there does tend to be biases towards reductionism, often reductionism that's based on a lie, such as in the examples that I just gave. And there does need to be a way to combat this that extends further than just looking for higher media standards. However, that does bring us to solutions and, once again, replace the American media. I'm sure our friends in Canada would be very, very glad to help. And what absolutely needs to happen there is to have a replacement of the American media. Because they're not only corrupt, they're inept. And this does fall. And one does follow from the other. When you have an environment that is incredibly nepotistic, where people get jobs based on their family connections or their social connections instead of, you know, their ability to actually do the job, as you can clearly see in American media, then you're going to have people who aren't actually qualified in high positions. And because of that, they make extremely poor judgments. They're unable to do the same things that even I'm able to do and what many ordinary voters are able to do, which is to look at the downstream consequences to think in more than a five-day news cycle, and to actually understand the consequences that various lies have, and to, quite frankly, just call out the corruption. Because once again, if people are part of a corrupt system, they're not necessarily going to be the ones who change it. There are various broader policies that we can talk about. There are social standards that we can talk about that would also increase the quality of political discourse and increase the quality of media. However, the most simple is just for people to get informed. Get informed by listening to podcasts like this one, where we offer in-depth breakdowns of the consequences of various political actions. Don't be afraid to call out things that are obviously lies. Because of the partisan level of media, Americans do have to have a higher standard of being able to tell truth from fiction. And while this obviously does not completely offset the corruption, while it's still much more preferable to have a media that actually functions, that is the strategy we have to approach for now. Speaking of informing the public, like, comment, share, subscribe, talk to all of your friends, talk about this podcast, bring up the points that I mention here, particularly if people that you know are more politically involved, people who you know are American, people who you know care about democracy, help this podcast grow, and help the world become a better place.